0: Good morning. all good? Everybody awake? Good. It is so good for me uh, to be here with you at Bellwether. As John Hugh said on the phone, I uh, started the church in Oxford about the same time that he was getting things geared up here in Jackson. And when uh, you're like me and John Hugh and you work on Sundays, you don't get to visit other churches very often. So I, I'm really thankful for the opportunity to be here. I feel like I, I know a lot about this church. John Hugh and I spent many times uh, hanging out over coffee, scratching our heads, celebrating together, crying together, being excited together. We have uh, kind of been through this together, and as he said, we, we have become great friends through that. And so I, I'm thankful to be here today. Uh, John, he wanted me to, call, to come by and talk about some of the things that we learned as we moved into our new building, uh, a permanent place in Oxford. We uh, don't own the building. So I'll get that out of the bag. First, it's an old funeral home that we renovated, and uh, we are always still kind of looking for places to, for a place to move into for a really long term, but this has been our home for four years, and we spent a lot of time moving and setting up and praying about a building for a long time before we found the home that we're in. We, uh, we did uh, indeed pray for a new space. I'm changing that now. We're going to be praying for a fiddle player, because uh, that was wonderful. What a blessing. So uh, I I, uh, have learned some things uh, in that move. And I know that it's not something that a church goes through outside of uh, God's desire to redeem and to grow and to mature a group of believers. And so I'm excited about what's in store for you guys for the next season in your life. I went back and looked through some old footage from some work nights we had in our building because when you walked in our building, first of all, it looked like a funeral home that had been shut up for about two years, because it was a funeral home that had been shut up for two years. And uh, there was a shag carpet on the ground. Some of the walls were painted pastel colors to about three quarters of the way up. There was an embalming room that we won't even mention what it looked like. It took a lot of bleach and a lot of work in that place before we could keep our kindergartners in there. But, we didn't tell all the parents exactly what it was like before all the bleach came in. But uh, it took a lot of work, and I look back on those days, and I'm so thankful for where we are. There's so many blessings having our own building. We have a place for people to find us. We have this sense of, you know, feeling that we have a place that's our own. We have something to share. That's my favorite thing about having a building, is that we get to share it with other people. We have a DHS comes and uses some of our kids' space during the week, one of the... Largest AA meetings in Oxford was started in our church. We have yard sales there to raise money for adoptions. We've been very generous with that building because it was such a gift for us. And so that's my favorite thing about having a building of our own. There, there are a lot of good things about it. But I still look back on those days before we moved in, and there's a, a little bit of uh, loss from the time before we moved in. We, we worked hard to set up every week. And we worked hard to invite people to a place that felt a little temporary, and we worked hard, real hard, in that building as we got ready for uh, it to become a church. And uh, even though there's a lot to celebrate now, there's something before that move that's missed in our church. I watched some uh, old footage of us renovating. I, I shed a couple of tears at some people who were there in those days who now don't live in Oxford anymore, or who at, once the church got settled in, kind of made their way out of the church. And um, Just thinking about those days, they weren't very fun when we were in the midst of them. But I'm fond of them now. The best thing I think about a church when they move is that it gives us an opportunity to really think about what it is that we're here for. Why do we exist? We evaluate that at every stage in the life of the church. And I promise if you're here today and you're not a member of Bellwether and you don't go to this church often, maybe you came back because it's Sunday morning and God stirred something in you. I promise we got something for you here in just a few minutes too. But for, for a church, going into the stage of life that Bellwether is in, it's very important because it gives us an opportunity to, to sift through what's really real, what a real calling over a church can be. And we're kind of in this phase where we're thinking about it even more at our church, and we can look back on the history of the orchard in Oxford, and we can see all the different stages when it started. The first stage was infancy stage, and it was kind of like having a newborn baby. You know, those days are supposed to be beautiful And I guess in a lot of ways they are, but you're up a lot at night and there's always a little bit of spit up on your shoulder and you're kind of sleep deprived and it's kind of wild. When we first started the church, we met in an arts center, nothing as nice as this. Uh, It used to be a place where on Saturday nights they would rent it out to fraternities to have their crawfish bowls and then we would have church there the next day. So it uh, engaged all the senses, so to speak. And uh, in those days, there was a lot of heavy lifting, a lot of moving in, a lot of setting up. There were a lot of late nights, a lot of prayers, a lot of sore backs. And that that was what marked that time in the life of our church. And then we moved into this building. This was a permanent location. We got to be in it all the time. And it was kind of like we graduated into our toddler years as a church. And toddler years are fun. I have a 20-month-old uh, at my house, and that's a really great time because everything is new and exciting. You're like, oh, wow, you learned a new word. Oh, you found your belly button. That's awesome. We take, we take lots of pictures in the toddler years, and we get excited at every new thing that happens, but then eventually we grow out of that faith. And as we process through things in orchard at the orchard in year 7, We're kind of in this place where we're figuring out what's next in the next stage. How do we grow into adolescence? And it's been a great process because God has really given us some gifts, some insight. And I want to share a few of those with you today. The first is that we found some things in uh, the book of Acts. And one small verse in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, verse 8, uh, has said a lot to us over the last few months. Acts 8, verse 8 says very simply, So there was great joy in that city. Now in the context, this was when the early church was moving into a new stage of life for them as well. Stephen had just been martyred. And it was kind of the low point in the movement of Jesus. Stephen, a fiery, great speaker. He was full of passion. He would speak and people would be drawn out to hear him and to, to be changed by the gospel that he preached. And there he was. Murdered, stoned, savagely in the streets. The the church hit a low point. It was at that moment that a wave of persecution came against the church. And so the low point got even lower. But what was obvious is that as God was moving the early church into a new season, he was right there with them. The persecution that came after Stephen was stoned scattered the church far and wide. And yet with it, scattered the gospel. And we know from the cities that the early believers ended up in as they were running and hiding and reestablishing themselves in churches, we know that they had a great impact on their city. We see it in Acts chapter 8, verse 8. There was great joy in that city. They gave the city that they were in a gift. And it was a gift of joy. In our church, we're always asking, what, what, is, it, what is the gift that we have an opportunity to extend to the city of Oxford and to the university that's there. And I would encourage you as as a church here in Bellwether, in Jackson, it doesn't take long to dream about all of the things that a church could hand over to a city with so much potential and so much beauty and so much growth, but also so much need. It's inspiring to remember that even in the darkest of days for the early church, for our church, for the church... God was still moving in such a beautiful way that those believers, battered and beaten and fearful, still had a gift to give, the gift of joy to the city around them. God has always moved as the church engages the city. You see it in the New Testament where all the books of Paul, well, most of the books that Paul wrote in the New Testament are named after the cities that they were written to. The community of believers that were inside the cities because they had a focus beyond just the church, through the church, towards the city. You read the book of Acts and you see that in the book of Acts all the headings at every section named different cities that Paul preached in, or, or Philip preached in or other disciples preached in because they spoke and cities were changed. Even Jesus' ministry reflected this too. Because as he traveled from town to town, people in those towns were electrified by his message god loves to move in cities why because cities are just a connection of relationships and relationships are the best soil for the gospel to grow in and so we see that in Acts 8 how god was redeeming all the connections that those believers had throughout the city. And before long, the gospel that fulfilled them and gave them a sense of joy was now moving through those relationships, through those connections into a very broken city around them. And that's still God's desire for us as churches, regardless of where we meet, if we own the building, we rent the building, we have our name on the building, regardless of all those things, it's still God's desire for every church that it wouldn't be focused just on itself, but on the city that's around it. Now we're always trying to figure out exactly what that means for our church. And so one of the passages of scripture I want to share with you today is from Ephesians chapter 3. If you've got a Bible, I would love for you to turn in it with me. If you've got a smartphone or something you can look up a Bible on, you're welcome to use that as well. Ephesians chapter 3 is uh, one of our life verses at the church. And uh, God has done a lot and said a lot to our church through this verse. And I love to read it every time I go back to it. There's something new for us in every season. Ephesians chapter 3, it says this Verse 14, when I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. Now, a little context what Paul's talking about. When I think of all this, Paul has spent the, spent the first three chapters. Of the book of Ephesians talking about how God came for the Jews, for those who were looking for him, for those who deserved him, for those who had ordered their lives around his law and the way that he'd revealed himself to them from the beginning. God had come for them, but also he had come those, for those who they assumed were far, far beyond his reach. God had come through Jesus. He had pursued those who had it all together and who dotted every I and crossed every T. And yet also he was pursuing those who didn't even know where to begin to search for him. The Jews and the Gentiles both. And the the realization of that good news, Paul says, When I think about this, I fall to my knees. I'm overwhelmed by the vision that God has over his good news. It is for everyone. I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And that's not just a title for God, the Father of everything on heaven and on earth. That's not just a title for Him, it's also a part of His nature. And when we pursue Him as such, we find all the gifts associated with the Father of everything on heaven and earth. That's what Paul talks about in verse 16. I, I pray that from His glorious, unlimited resources. There, there's a good verse for a, a building campaign, renovation campaign, season in the life of a church, right? From God's glorious, unlimited resources. I'm, I'm constantly in need in my life. Personally, I'm constantly lacking what I need, whether it be direction or courage or insight. or so- Sometimes it's just resources. I'm, I'm always in need and I feel this sense of need every time I look in the mirror or I look at the day that's been behind me or the day that's ahead of me. And yet what God calls us to remember when we approach God is that we are approaching the one who is full of glorious and unlimited resources. Not only is He the Father of heaven and earth, but He's also accessible to us. And He's made Himself known to us so that we can draw out of all that He has dominion over, all that He covers. And this is his prayer. From those glorious unlimited resources, his prayer is that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. It's not just something that we recognize about God or we worship about God or we sing songs about, but that he will actually empower us, that he will move us and move through us because of all that he owns and all that we ask of him. And he says, I pray that he will empower you. And one thing that I love about reading Paul's writings in the South is because I think that we, are e- more, we more easily come to terms with what Paul is saying in the South because we've invented a word called y'all. That helps us read the Bible differently. Because this letter to the Ephesians, just like the letters to the Corinthians, just like the letters to the Galatians and all these churches, they were not meant to be read one-on-one from one person to another person, but they were actually being read from one person to a whole group of people. And it begins to totally change the way that we read those scriptures and read those letters from Paul when we start reading the yous as y'alls. And we realize this thing that's inherent in the gospel and in God's movement in it, is that it wasn't just meant to be carried out one-on-one by one individual person, but it was meant to be carried out together as a family. So when Paul says, I I fall to my knees, and then I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower y'all with inner strength through his Holy Spirit. That what we can do together as a church family, in season, out of season, in rented space, out of rented space, what we can do together is greater than anything that we could do separately. That's why joining a church is unlike joining anything else. Because joining a church means that we fall in line with the power of y'all. That's the power that God works through over and over again it's an avenue that he is always trying to redeem now it's not always pretty it's not always easy there's conflict there's challenges there are things that are confusing and difficult and complexities there are seasons I've talked to several people here today I'm like man this is awesome look at this place all these lights and sounds great and everything they're like yeah it's great let's go (laughs) we're ready to get out of here and there, there are seasons like that in every, like the life of every church and every um, group that would fall under the yawl of the New Testament. And yet what God has promised through His church is a promise he, he still fulfills. And if every church would use the season that they're moving out of and moving into as an opportunity to seek anew what God would do through us, then He would answer every time. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower y'all with inner strength through his spirit. Verse 17, then Christ will make his home in y'all's heart. Did you know that there's a possessive version of y'all, y'all's heart? He will make his home in your heart, y'all's heart, as you trust in him. He's not going to be just above us with all the resources and all the knowledge and all every, owning everything on heaven and on earth, but actually, he would come so close. And that Jesus would make his home in our hearts and begin to direct and guide our lives from that point. You know, when Jesus makes his home in our hearts, he can ask questions differently than he does when he just lives in a book or when he lives in a place. When Jesus makes us home in our hearts, he can ask us questions like, why, why does that hurt so bad? Why, why do you think you feel so lonely at this time? Why is this relationship with somebody broken so deeply? Why have you been trying to break this addiction and you just can't? Jesus can ask us those questions. He can ask us those questions when he lives in our heart, and that's exactly what he wants us to do. To invite him in. Next verse, next sentence, this is where we get the theme, the the name of our church from. It says, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Roots, we all have roots like an orchard. Pretty simple. The more that I'm learning about that metaphor and that image, though, the, the, the more beautiful and more full it becomes. Uh, There's uh, the quaking aspen trees in Colorado. If you've ever been out to Colorado, you've probably seen them. We have a picture um, for the screen back here, I believe. There they are. Beautiful, especially this time of year. Part of the landscape in the west. Very uh, photographic, as you can see behind me. But what's interesting about these aspen trees is that for all the beauty that they have on top and all the strength that they show in the fall and in the winter and the the kind of brutal seasons in that part of the country, if you look beneath the surface, you'll see a network of roots. That will blow your mind. For a forest the size of this, just a, a group of trees the size of this, their roots are interwoven together and spread out underneath the ground for 20 acres. And some of them are tens of thousands of years old, the root systems beneath the soil. And so much of their beauty and life and vibrancy and strength happens because underneath the soil they are not just reaching out as individual trees, but they are depending upon each other and interwoven together to draw up nutrients that image of roots has been one that's has constantly called us back to the fact that what God would do in us plural happens as God does something special in us individually too. As we each make it, it a commitment of our lives to draw our roots down deep to reach out into the fullness of who God is and find our strength there. When as individuals we do it then we as a church Grow in ways that we could have never imagined before. And what's there for us to grow our roots down into? Well, the next uh, line Paul tells us. It says, may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love really is. There is an infinity for us to sink our roots down into and draw nutrients from, draw life from. May you have the power to understand, may y'all have the power to understand how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. When, when that's experienced, the fullness of God is experienced in a church family, we begin to see its shape. And its shape is long. The fullness of God is long. It extends out through all of our relationships It extends out over those people in our lives who are so far away from God and not even looking and not even caring, but they're hurting so badly. God's love is wide. It extends out over them. It extends out wide throughout this city, over all the children that God has here. God's love is not just wide, it's also long. It helps us to see over this hill, that's before us and over the next hill through this season and into the next season. I know that that some of you are probably in a good place in life. And understanding God's love that it, it is long that extends out far before us is reassuring in those seasons, but not as reassuring as those who are in difficult seasons in their life. And to realize that that God has has gone before us. Over this hill, as hard as it is to climb. He's gone before us over this hill and down the next and over the next. He does it for us as individuals, but he does it for us as churches too, as we struggle and we see and we we strive to hold on to what he has for us. His love is wide, his love is also long, his love is high, Paul says in Ephesians 3. It's greater than our our highest celebration. He also says that it's deep too. It's, it's deeper than our deepest celebration sorrows, our deepest pain. No matter how deeply they wound us or they cut us, they will not affect us more deeply than the life that Jesus offers. That is good news, and that's the invitation over every body of believers. So that when people see those who belong to a church or those who have kind of woven their roots together, that when the people see that they will see something quite large. And that's the effect of Jesus in our lives. Now, this is one of my favorite sections of this scripture because the the verbs change here. And I think it is fundamentally important. It says, May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep God's love is. And then verse 19 says, May you experience... The love of Christ, though it is too great to understand it. You see, the verbs change from understanding, may you understand it, to may you experience it. And there is no greater call over a church than helping people go from understanding to experience. In fact, there's no greater thing in our lives than moving from a place of understanding to a place of experiencing. When I got my first car... I knew all about driving a car. I'd been to um, driver's ed class. I'd taken the test. I had taken the test again. I had gotten the the license. I knew all about which pedals you, you push to make it go. I knew about how to turn the blinker on and how to read the signs and how to stop. I understood everything that there was to understand about driving a car, but the experience of pulling out of the driveway for the first time without anybody else with me is something I'll never forget right? Moving from understanding to experiencing. That's where the real moments of life happen. When when you have a, a newborn baby, you spend nine months preparing for it. Now, many of you are lucky because you had babies before the internet was in every home, but if you had the internet, you've read all sorts of things, varying opinions about how to take care of a baby or how to understand babies, but By the time nine months rolls around, you have a pretty good understanding of what a newborn is going to be like and what your responsibilities are. But there is nothing like holding a newborn baby. And that moment from understanding into experiencing will change a life. It will change a man's life in an instant. Those moments that God continues to call us into. I remember being young. I understood kissing. I had seen it on TV. I had seen it in movies. I knew what it looked like for two people to kiss. But the experience of a first kiss is wholly different than just understanding it. It's those beautiful moments of life. And it's the the, the beauty that's in those moments that God, who, who holds everything in His hand, is continually calling a church to move from understanding to experience, understanding to experience, understanding to experience time and time again. God would say over us, you understand love as a construct. You understand it as a theory, but I want you to experience and experience again what love really can be in your church. You understand hope as something biblical. You understand it as a political slogan. You understand it as, as a catchphrase that has, has almost been used so much that it's lost, lost its meaning. But I want you to experience hope in all of the broken, cracked places in your life. When God draws us near to Him, He draws us from moving, to move from understanding into experience. And the reason it's so powerful for a church to constantly move to moments like that is because we exist in the middle of a world that is starving to move from understanding to experience. Especially in the South. There are very few people in the South who have no idea who Jesus is. In fact, some of the people outside the church know as much about Jesus as most of the people inside the church. They understand him. They've heard about him. The problem is, there is so much more that they miss out on because they have not experienced Him yet. People outside the church, they dream about what redemption and restoration could look like, what forgiveness in a broken family can look like. And in their minds, a lot of times, we, we have built, they have built ideas of what that could look like. And yet, what God would love to do in those situations through the love that He gives a church, the depth, that he gives the churches, he would love to take them from understanding restoration to actually experiencing it. And in doing so, he would give every church purpose and every life that makes up a church purpose too. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. And the promise is, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. That's a good promise, right? Then you'll be made complete. And in a process of completion, because God is endlessly giving towards your need. Because in His giving, He is drawing us all closer to what He wants for the world. Right after this service, I'm going to have an opportunity, uh, I'm going to have to leave real fast because i got to get back to Tupelo for a funeral. Uh, there's a man there um, who was one of the original leaders of the orchard in Tupelo, which our church was planted out of. It's a church that has been around for about 15 years. Most weeks they have about 1,700 people who are there. And um, Dr. Earl was there from when it was the size of my church, size of your church. And, and as we celebrate his life, as a leader in that church, will also celebrate the fact that in his wake, he left two very fruitful congregations sharing the gospel that he loved so dearly. And even though his, his life was not one of total perfection, it wasn't even one of total completeness, it is marked by the pursuit of that. And in his wake, there are countless stories of people who have moved from understanding to experiencing. And man, may the same thing be said about all of us. That in our wake, we would leave the same kind of work that changed our lives. Wrap this up. Chapter, verse 20, it says, Now, all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul closes out this lofty section of Scripture by saying, if we would only accept the invitation into the depth of God, He would do infinitely more than we would ever ask or think. Think about the scope of that promise. Infinitely more than we would ever ask or think. It means that we better clue in our imaginations into the work of God. Because what He longs to do is to beat them at every time. I don't know how you guys are marking your transition into your new building. I know that every church celebrates it a different way. And one thing I know about coming here is uh, that it, the last thing that you need is for me to like, cast a vision over that because you guys are so blessed to have one of the most visionary leaders of any church. I, I am so inspired by John Hughes' leadership and his ability to cast a bright vision. But one of the ways that we have marked that every time that we've moved into a new place is that under the stage or under the carpet we've uh, had a service where we've asked people to write names. And we've asked people to write names of their friends or their family members who don't know Jesus who we would pray over that they would either come to know Jesus in that place or they would come to know Jesus through something that began in that place. It's always a, a powerful night Powerful opportunity for that. I'll never forget the first time somebody showed up and their name was under the carpet. It was actually a piece of our stage that we pulled up, like one of these pieces right here, and we wrote in Sharpie people's names underneath, and somebody had written his name down. And I'll never forget, he hadn't been to church in 20 years, and when he came walking in the door, everybody stopped and watched him because they knew. And it it was this unbelievable movement in his life that was undeniable. God was calling him to something. He was the biggest success story that we'd ever had. He came in the church. Two weeks later, he was back again. We asked him if he wanted to be in a community group. He was like, okay, I'll be in a community group. Like, really? People usually don't jump into that that fast. Okay. So we went there every week, sat on the edge of his seat, couldn't wait for the next thing to come out of somebody's mouth. Never said anything for the first two years. Sat on the edge of his seat, couldn't wait for the, the next word to come out. Now, currently, he's a community group leader and one of our most passionate community group leaders. He gives of his time to go and spend time with other people who don't know Jesus. He's written their names in his journal. He is experiencing what for 20 years he only understood. And it's a beautiful thing to see. And I'll never forget the day that I called him into my office and had that piece of stage leaning against the wall because we took that stage apart. And I said, I I want you to know how much I have grown seeing Jesus' pursuit of you. But I want you to see something. And I turned that piece of stage around. There was his name written right there. from Three years earlier. And just the tears that welled up in his eyes realizing that what someone else had understood and then experienced, that when they thought about him, all that they could think about was how they wanted it for him, too. And I think that that was one of those moments, too. That he had always understood Jesus, the one who seeks and saves the lost. And Jesus is like the woman who loses a coin, she lights a lamp, and she looks for it all night. He understood it. He had been to church as a kid. He'd heard all the stories. But in that moment, he had experienced it a never-relenting, always-pursuing grace of Jesus. The thing that has the power to transform a life, but it also has the power to fill a church and to change a city, to change every city. So as, as we close, I want to encourage you bellwether. I'm so excited about what's ahead of you in the next two or three weeks. But I want to encourage you, in the middle of all the moving and all the work that it takes to do that, in the middle of all the excitement of a new home, take some time to think about what, what is it that God is leading you into as a church body? And what are all the places that he longs to see you experience things that before you only understood? And then the best question, who are all the people that he longs to do that for too? Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the way that it's relevant today, just like it was the day that you first inspired it. And thank you for this church. God, I pray that you would continue to fill them with the power of y'all, that you would grow their roots deeply into you, but that you would do it at the same time that you grow them closely together. And may the gospel, which is good news, may it just ripple from one life to another, building momentum to go outside the walls of this building, outside the walls of the new building, and into a world that desperately needs it. God, I pray... For this church and for the future that it has, I pray for the man who usually stands up here on stage and teaches, that you would continue to fill his heart with passion and with a willingness to lead courageously. I pray for his family, God, that you would protect them and continue to fill them with love and faith. I pray, God, for this city, for all of its needs and all of its hungers. I pray that one of the most beautiful ways that you would meet those needs would be through this body this church God we believe that you want to and so today we we just ask that you would show us how to follow you into that it's in your name we pray Amen